Well, it was the Aiden Mahaney show in Moraga on Saturday with Gonzaga's late game defense costing them yet another win. Why aren't we seeing adjustments from this team and will it cost them in March? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Well, it was another frustrating, frustrating game for the Gonzaga Bulldogs on Saturday in Moraga, California against the St. Mary's Gales. Uh, This team has not made it particularly easy to watch any of their games this season. Sometimes they're going to blow a team out like they did against the University of Portland or like they did against Santa Clara. Sometimes they're going to lose frustrating games to teams like LMU or play down to opponents like San Francisco or even BYU. And sometimes they're going to have a game where they do kind of both, where they seemingly dominate for an extended period of time, look like the Zags of old, look like a the type of team that you expect to be, you know, on a Gonzaga roster, the type of team you think, yeah, this Sweet 16 streak is going to continue, no doubt about it. Hey, this is a team that could go to the Elite Eight. Hey, this is a team that, you know, ball rolls the right way, they go to the Final Four. And also, in the same game, this team looked like the team that, this kind of the, the the issues that have plagued this team all year showed up in a significant way. And there've been a lot of games this year where I think kind of the full 40 minutes seem to be one or the other dominate for 40 minutes or, you know, 35 minutes. You obviously have some bad stretches or whatever, or you have bad games punctuated by a few nice stretches here and there. And this game was kind of a tale of two games. And unfortunately for the Zags, uh, the first half where they dominated the second half where they did not dominate resulted in there being a third portion of said game in overtime. Uh, and the Zags did not manage to flip the script again uh, and instead fell by eight to the St. Mary's Gales. It was a very unfortunate loss. You never like to lose to your rival. Of course, St. Mary's a very, very talented team. Uh, but the Zags looked like the better team in the first half. It's so frustrating. I know people have said this on Twitter. I know I've had friends, family members who have said this, who say, oh, you know, it's it's almost you know, it's almost better to just get blown out or whatever and like just, you know, lose badly. And it's like, no, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, for me, I I don't want to say I expected because I did not expect to lose this game. I expect to win every game that Gonzaga plays because I think this team is good enough to win every game that they play. But I prepared as if, hey, this might not be a game that Gonzaga wins. It's a really tough opponent. You guys who listen to the show leading into this week knew that like there's some pretty obvious concerns about playing St. Mary's. But to see Gonzaga do the things they needed to do to win, to see definitive proof that they're capable of doing it and then have it fall apart was crushing, crushing. I know you all felt that. I know you did. I did. It was really, really devastating because the blueprint was there. This game did not prove to me that St. Mary's is a better basketball team than Gonzaga. It proved to me that they're an extremely good basketball team, that they're a resilient basketball team, that they can make halftime and in-game adjustments in a way that, quite frankly, I'm not sure Gonzaga is capable of doing or at least didn't show in that game. But what it didn't show to me is that, oh, St. Mary's is just a better team. They just came out and won because they're a better team. They executed their game plan better, blah, blah, blah. That's not what happened. 
Gonzaga executed an excellent game plan in the first half of this game. They played phenomenal defense. Logan Johnson and Aiden Mahaney, I believe, were two for 20 or one for 20, something ridiculous in the first half. They were stifled, completely stifled. Gonzaga's defense was phenomenal in the first half of this game. And that's why it's so frustrating that it ended the same way so many other Gonzaga games have ended this year with the opposing team able to get the shots that they wanted around the rim and without any ability to prevent that from happening. And it's incredibly frustrating because Gonzaga proved they can do that. They proved they can stop them. And and look, hats off to Randy Bennett for making the adjustments that he made in the second half or at, at halftime. And really tremendous hats off to Aiden Mahania. That needs to be said. That that young man is really, really good. We talked about it on the show way back in August. Jason Jordan, a Locked On Recruiting Insider, joined the show to talk about the incoming freshmen who are going to play for other WCC schools. And he straight up said, hey, Gonzaga fans are going to hate Aiden Mahaney. Yeah, he was right. <laughs> Shout out to Jason because he was absolutely correct about that assessment. That kid is really good. He's from the Moraga area. He wanted more than anything in the world to go out there and beat Gonzaga on his home floor, and he did it. He did it. He went out there and did what he needed to do to get a win. But what's frustrating to me is that Gonzaga, I don't think they put their best foot forward in order to beat Aiden Mahaney in that situation. And what I mean by their best foot forward is pretty obvious. They didn't put Hunter Salas on the floor in situations where I think Hunter Salas could have contributed. He didn't play much in the second half of that game. And he's the Gonzaga's best perimeter defensive player. And I don't think I'm wrong about that. I don't think this is a, oh, my opinion is that Hunter Salas is Gonzaga's best perimeter defensive player, but maybe Mark Few disagrees. I don't know how you can. I mean, I honestly don't know how you can. I'm not saying Hunter Salas is like flawless. He's not. Nobody on Gonzaga's roster is flawless. But defensively, in terms of the specific defensive skills that Gonzaga needed in this moment, what they needed was an on-ball defensive player capable of keeping the opposing player's guard, in this case, Aiden Mahaney, in front of him. That is Hunter Salas's greatest skill that I have seen as a Gonzaga basketball player so far. It is his number one skill. He has other fantastic skills, otherworldly athleticism. That block against Logan Johnson will be in his nightmares for decades. I'm confident of that. He's also shown more on the offensive end of the floor. But at the end of the day, the greatest skill that Hunter Salas brings to the 2022-2023 Gonzaga basketball team is his on-ball defense. And in a situation where Gonzaga needed it more than anything else, the only thing they needed. Yes, they needed to continue to score points on the other end of the floor. Yes, they needed to close out on shooters you know, and do other stuff like that, rebound, things that they were also kind of struggling with. But at the end of the day, that's what they needed, and they didn't get it because they didn't put the right person on the floor. And it's really hard to not be frustrated about that, quite honestly. I don't think Malachi Smith's a bad basketball player, certainly not offensively. Defensively, I think he's fine. I think there are situations where he is, is better than others, but I don't think he is the best point-of-attack defensive player on this team. I think he's third among the guards at best. Behind Hunter Salas, behind Rasir Bolton. Rasir Bolton had four fouls. I get why he wasn't playing. I understand that. They didn't want him to pick up his fourth foul, but guess what happened? Guess what happened? In overtime, they brought Rasir Bolton back in to start the overtime period, and he forced a turnover because he's a better defensive player. It's so frustrating to not have the right people on the floor in situations where they can be successful. I did not understand the decision to not play Hunter Salas. Yes, Hunter Salas commits a lot of fouls. If we want to nitpick a part of his game on the defensive end of the floor, he is a bit foul prone. St. Mary's not a very good free throw shooting team. That to me seemed well worth the risk. Well worth the risk. And look, I'm not arguing that Malachi Smith isn't a more impactful player on the offensive end of the floor. He is. He is. I, that's not debatable to me. And, and Malachi Smith brings skills offensively that were critical. 
his ability to go get a bucket when an offense breaks down was really important in this game. Malachi Smith's ability to put the ball on the deck, drive into the lane and put up a floater. He put up a really, really difficult floater over Mitchell Saxon in a crucial moment and buried it. It was a really nice shot. I don't know that Hunter Salas can do that. We haven't seen him do that. I trust Malachi Smith right now to do that more. But at the end of the day, that's not what Gonzaga needed more. They needed both. They needed both, but they needed defense more. And it's not like they have to play one or the other. They could have made a different decision. They could have played Hunter Salas for defense. They could have kept Malachi Smith in there for offense. They could have taken out Julian Strother, who had a, a bad game, four for 11 from the field, oh, four from deep. He struggled. They could have taken out Nolan Hickman, arguably a risk as the more, most pure point guard on the roster. But at the end of the day, they said, we have to choose between Malachi Smith and Hunter Salas. We prefer offense over defense. We're going to play Malachi Smith. And then Aiden Mahaney just went left and he 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 kept scoring and he kept scoring. And look, I think this is an important caveat to make here. The It sounds like what I'm saying is you put Hunter Salas in, all of a sudden Aiden, Aiden Mahaney doesn't score six in a row. I don't know that. That young man is really, really good. He might've scored every single one of those points anyway. Totally might have. In fact, that might be that might be the likely outcome that might have happened here. But not putting your best player out there to give you the best chance to stop him is mind-numbingly frustrating. I think it cost Gonzaga the game against LMU. I don't know entirely that it cost him the game here because Aiden Mahaney is just that dude, and he went out and did things that players like that are capable of doing. But I hate losing when I feel like you didn't put your best foot forward. And quite honestly, I think there was a four or five minute stretch in that game where Hunter Salas should have been on the floor and he wasn't. Did it cost him the game? Nobody can say for sure, but it's frustrating to not feel like you put the best opportunity for your team to be in a position to win. Didn't feel like it was with the personnel that was on the floor at the time. And that's really, really hard to swallow. Well, it is Mailbag Monday, and so we are going to get to some Mailbag Monday questions here in the second and final segment of the show. Before we get to all of that, though, I want to tell you about LinkedIn. As small businesses, as a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members that you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs helps you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools. They go beyond the resume data by using insights from your job post company and their 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. Identify the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn Jobs and connect with them fast and for free. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all on one platform. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two, still any patents, still locked on Zags, and it's Monday. It's Mailbag Monday. You all had some questions. We're going to talk about some of the similar topics here in the second segment about that Gonzaga-St. Mary's game. This first question here comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, the Zags defense smothered Mahaney in the first half. Did he just get hot, or did Gonzaga's defense just fall apart? Well, to be quite honest, Austin, we addressed a significant amount of this in the first segment, but I do want to acknowledge that Mahaney's really, really good, and I think what happened here... I think what happened here is that Randy Bennett had a, made a really, really good coaching decision. 
he figured out that the best way what was what happened in the first half didn't work I mean, it has 24 points in the first half. Mahaney and Logan Johnson had like four combined points. I believe that it was the, the offense wasn't working and they made an adjustment. And instead of settling for more jumpers, which I can understand why a lot of coaches would have done that. If you watch the BYU film, you'd be like, oh, we just get out in transition, hit open threes that way. That's not really Randy's game. That's not really St. Mary's game. But you look at the LMU game and you think, OK, like hitting a lot of outside shots. That's the way to beat Gonzaga. Randy didn't fall for that. He didn't fall for that. What he did is he said, let's get our guy, Mahaney, into switches, get him into defensive situations where he can attack the rim. Randy looked over at Gonzaga and said, well, they don't have Chet Holmgren, do they? They don't have a player on that floor capable of erasing shots around the rim. So let's get him into switches. And they got him into switches on Malachi Smith. That's what they were doing. Smith opened his hips. Mahaney went left and he scored. And look, some of the shots that Aiden Mahaney made were just ridiculous. I, I've been harping on the defense and kind of bagging on Malachi a little bit here. And I, I want to be clear that a lot of the defensive effort that he put forth and that Anton Watson, who ended up switched onto Aiden Mahaney a lot, the defense that they played was good. It is not that it was bad. Aiden Mahaney's really good. And he got to his left and he got going towards the rim. And every time he flipped it up, it went in. And, and he, beyond that, he also made some phenomenal passes. He made a, a really quick pass on an entry pass to Mitchell Saxon that I he threaded in there by the by a pinhead. He threaded in there that quickly, and it was a beautiful pass. And that's just hats off. Hats off in situations where hats off needs to be. And I think the, the question is, did he just get hot or did Gonzaga's defense fall apart? It's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both, but honestly, a lot of the effort Gonzaga put forth to defend Aiden Mahaney, while I don't agree with the personnel decisions, I don't agree with the lineup that was put out there, the actual defensive effort was not bad. He's just a very, very good player. Next question here comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, what happened to Gonzaga's offense in the second half against St. Mary's? Flipping the script a little bit there. He goes on to say, they played with a great flow and movement for most of the first half, and then they were largely stagnant for much of the second half and overtime. And he says, if Gonzaga keeps playing defense like that, though, they are going to be really hard to beat the rest of the way. Yeah, the first half in particular, the first half defensive effort from Gonzaga, very, very solid. Second half, again, disagree with some of the personnel decisions. A lot of the actual defense wasn't that bad though. I thought it was a overall good defensive game, just frustrating with the way that it went down, down the stretch in terms of the offense. Again, part of it is kind of the same answer of like, you got to give a hats off to St. Mary's. This is one of the best five best defensive teams in the entire country. And they're not fifth. This is a really, really good defensive team. They made some adjustments at halftime. They changed some things up and it worked. It worked. They got Drew Timmy in foul trouble. That was a huge part of it. They took some charges on him that were dubious. I will acknowledge that. Uh, I do think that and I want to be clear, this is not, not an excuse because I think the officiating in this game was bad evenly in a sense that it wasn't, it wasn't favoring either team one way or another. But what did happen in the second half is that we saw a lot more whistles. No debate about that. A lot more whistles. And I think a game that gets slowed down because of more whistles is going to be advantageous to St. Mary's. Again, not intentionally by the officiating, but I do think that that pulled Gonzaga out of the rhythm. In the first half, they were rhythmic because they were moving. They were going. They were constantly moving up and down the floor and dictated the pace in a way that, frankly, I was surprised they were capable of doing against Randy Bennett because he's him and his squads are usually very, very good at setting that pace and going really, really slow. But in the second half, Gonzaga struggled to do that because of a lot of whistles, because of some adjustments made by Randy Mena and the de defense, because Drew Timmy had to sit for periods of time with foul trouble. I do think the offense got stagnant. I think the offense kept trying to force feed Drew Timmy in situations where they should have been trying to find other things. The fact that they only made four threes, that's an issue. You know, the other fact, Gonzaga had four assists in this game. 
That's it. St. Mary's allows the least amount of assists in the country. So that's something they're very, very good at. But Gonzaga got overly reliant on Drew. They gave him the ball. They got out of his way. At times it worked. He didn't have a bad game, but you have to have more than that in your bag. If you only get four assists and you make four threes, it's going to be a tough game to win. And that's what we saw happen to Zags on Saturday. Final question here in the second segment comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, now that Zags are two games back, is the WCC title out of reach? Heck no, it's not out of reach, but it's not going to be easy to get there. Uh, the Zags could make up a game against St. Mary's. That's the the best way. I mean, they pretty much have to. If they don't win that game against St. Mary's on February 25th in the McCarthy Athletic Center in Spokane, if they don't win that game, then it's probably out of reach. It, in, in fact, but it, by that point, it might mathematically be, depending on what else happens uh, between now and then for the Zags. But I don't think the St. Mary's team is like unbeatable Certainly not by Gonzaga, obviously. The, the Zags looked like they were going to win for 25 minutes or so, uh, if not more, uh, against uh, St. Mary's on Saturday. But I don't think that the St. Mary's team is unbeatable for other teams in the conference either. Now, they have predominantly won pretty badly. They've beaten teams significantly so far in the WCC, but a lot of teams are about to play them for a second time, and they're going to make adjustments. And I think that the St. Mary's team is, is susceptible. Do I think that Pacific or Pepperdine is going to beat them? No, not necessarily. But do I think that San Francisco could? Do I think that BYU could? I haven't looked at the schedule. I'm not sure exactly who who, who is left on their calendar, but there are, some, there are some teams in this conference that's absolutely capable of beating St. Mary's. If St. Mary's lose another game, if Gonzaga beats them on the 25th and Gonzaga goes undefeated, you got yourself a ball game. You got yourself a showdown right there. You got two, two, two lost teams right there. Now, again, I don't think that that's particularly likely. I think St. Mary's has a pretty good chance of running the table. Even if they lose to Gonzaga on the 25th, they might beat everybody else. And that's, that's enough. I also don't think that we're in a position to feel confident that Gonzaga is going to win the rest of their conference games. I sure don't feel that confident about it. They still got some tough games left on the calendar. I think it's very possible they win the rest of their games, but I don't know that it's a guarantee. Um, so is the WCC title out of reach? No. Is the margin of error razor, razor, razor thin? Yeah, it absolutely is. But not winning the WCC title, not the end of the world. It's sad. <laughs> it's not fun to not win the conference title in the regular season. Um, I was going to say all that really matters is winning it in the WCC tournament. That doesn't even matter that much. Like Gonzaga, if Gonzaga doesn't win the regular season and they lose in the WCC tournament to St. Mary's or, or anybody else, you know, they're still going to go dancing. They're still going to make the big dance. We might be looking at a seed number that we haven't seen in a real long time uh, in Spokane. And that's, that's a little bit disappointing, but they're, they're not in any danger of not making the NCAA tournament. So it kind of depends on your priorities. I would sure like to win the WCC. I'd sure like to win in Las Vegas. I'd rather beat them in Vegas. That's more fun. <laughs> it's always fun to beat St. Mary's in Vegas or whoever they end up playing. If they end up making it to, uh, if somebody else ends up making it to that championship game uh, in the WCC tournament, but yeah, razor thin margin of error right now. It's looking down the barrel of possible possibility of not winning the regular season tournament for the WCC, which is hard. It's not something Gonzaga fans are particularly used to, but it's not out of reach. There is there is time to write the ship for the Zags here and op opportunity to to beat this program on the 25th in, in Spokane and potentially uh, change the tide a little bit uh, going into the final week of the season. All right, more listeners submitted questions, including talking about next year's lineup and Gonzaga's seeding in March. But before we get that, a word from today's sponsor, Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories, then you have got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me, where you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, then man, I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they are so delicious, you won't even think they're good for you. They're perfect for your New Year's resolution. 
What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box for years. We've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs at your local Walmart or Sam's Club today. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zags, kind of moving a little bit away from talking about the Gonzaga-St. Mary's game. I know it's a, a tough one for us to, to stomach this week here in February, but uh, it is what it is. It has happened. We will probably talk more about this game as the season goes on, but a couple more questions to get through here on Mailbag Monday. This next one comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, with three seniors and Julian Strother in the starting five, how realistic is it that Gonzaga loses four of the starting five next year? Yeah, I think it's absolutely possible. It's also worth pointing out that last year there was people convinced, convinced that Gonzaga was going to lose all five of their starters from last year's roster. They lost two. So I don't know that making predictions here in February is necessarily all that fruitful. Last year, of course, they lost Chet Holmgren. They lost Andrew Nambhard. But there was expectation that there's no way Rasir Bolton's coming back. There's no way Julian Strother's coming back. He's going to the NBA. Uh, there's no way that um, Drew Timmy's coming back. And guess what? <laughs> they, they did. They all came back. What we know for a fact, Rasir Bolton cannot come back. He is out of eligibility. In this day and age, it is almost impossible to see players out of eligibility. It feels weird that, oh, yeah, some guys just can't come back. <laughs> there have been so many guys who it feels like have never-ending eligibility. Rasir Bolton's is up. He doesn't get to come back. So one out of five, gone for sure. I have said many times on this podcast that I have a strong belief that Drew Timmy is going to leave. But he could come back. He has another year of eligibility. There is nothing stopping him from coming back. Now, as I've mentioned on the show before, and I'll say it again, Drew Timmy would have to return to school without declaring for the NBA draft. As I understand the rules, if you declare for the NBA draft a third time, which this would be his third time declaring for the NBA draft, that automatically kills your eligibility. That is what happened to Andrew Nempard last year. As soon as, And he wasn't planning to come back, so it didn't matter. But as soon as Andrew Nempard declared for the NBA draft, Boom, his eligibility was gone. I have a hard time imagining Drew Timmy returning to school without exploring the NBA draft. However, it's possible. Absolutely possible. Julian Strother, I am much more up in the air on right now. Earlier in the season, before the season, I just said, yeah, there's no way. This is his third and final season. He's going to boost his numbers from last year. We're going to see a guy who's you know, knocking down a bunch of threes, scoring more points per game, uh, more efficient on defense, and he's a lock to leave for the NBA draft. Now, here's the thing. A lot of that has happened. Julian Strother is a very good outside shooter. His points per game are up. His defense does look better at times, although inconsistent. And inconsistency is the issue. He has been inconsistent in every facet of the game, quite honestly. He's game in, game out. You don't know whether you're going to get the Julian Strother who drops a 40-burger against the Pilots. You don't know if you're going to get the Julian Strother who drops a 20-point double-double against Xavier, or you're going to get the Julian Strother who goes four for 11 or two for nine or, you know, whatever it may be. He's just hasn't been super consistent. And I think that's going to make it harder for NBA scouts to feel like they want to put a first round draft grade on him or even an early second round draft grade on him. Looking at mock drafts lately, he's, he's fallen off of them. 
He's still on some of them. He's still on a lot of them in the, you know, thirties or even high forties, which is, you know, if you feel pretty confident, you're going to get drafted in the thirties or forties, you probably go, but I don't know how confident he can feel about that. And again, we're talking in February, the draft is in June. We got a lot of time. He could go absolutely ball out at the NBA draft combine. And that could be it. That could be all that they need to see from him. Um, But he's about 50, 50 right now. And then you look at the rest of the starting lineup, uh, Anton Watson, I'm really unsure on him. I don't think he has an NBA future. Uh, I think he's got a, a great professional basketball playing career ahead of him, uh, but he may not be super keen to start it. He may be keen to come back and try again and, and have his fifth year. He's from Spokane. He loves it here. I could see him returning. I think that'd be very fun and cool if Anton Watson were to come back. I love him. You guys haven't hidden that uh, on the show, but at the end of the day, yeah, four out of five starters could absolutely leave. I also think it's, possible that well, we only lose one or two so it'll be interesting to see how that might shake out between now and june next question here comes from jim on facebook jim says if drew timmy were to return next year and continue to break gonzaga records would an asterisk be in the record book because of the covid year how are other schools or the ncaa handling this well drew timmy could break the scoring record uh, this year and then come back next year in which case you don't need an asterisk because he did it in four years uh but let's say he doesn't or let's say he you know becomes gonzaga's all-time leading rebounder or any other cumulative statistics that you want to use that that could end up being altered because he's been in school for a fifth year another great example of this is Antoine Davis Antoine Davis plays at Detroit the Detroit Mercy in the Horizon League he plays for his father Mike Davis Antoine Davis is now the NCAA's second leading scorer of all time only player ahead of him in NCAA scoring history is Pistol Pete Maravich from LSU in the 50s or 60s Antoine Davis is in his fifth year at Detroit he came back. He used his COVID year of eligibility. He returned. He's back. Now, this dude has averaged like 25-plus points per game in every year he's been in college. He's an absolute bucket, one of the best scorers in college basketball history. Most of the rest of the list outside of Maravich at LSU is mid-major guys. Uh, there's Portland State guy on there. There's a handful of other guys from smaller schools. So Antoine Davis is kind of looks the part, but he did do it in five years. Are they putting an asterisk next to his name in the record book? No, I don't think so. And I don't necessarily think that they should, but I do think that it's an interesting question. It's an interesting dynamic. Uh, if, you know, if, if players are breaking records that a bit, a bit at the same time, like Adam Morrison is, is really high on Gonzaga's scoring record, but he's only in school for three years. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's not like everybody already has been staying for four years. I don't think that cumulative point total numbers are necessarily all of that valuable i don't know if that's the right word to use like i don't know how much they necessarily say if i was making a list of like if i was building a team right now to be the best gonzaga team this is the team that i think of all of the players combining them together to go win a national championship it's not going to be the guys who scored the most points necessarily because i'm going to put jalen suggs on that team i'm probably going to put chet holmgren or brandon clark on that team one of those two guys is for sure on that team they only put one year here so it's interesting because the record books are important and they do have meaning certainly, but the college game is just so different because guys stay for such a different variety of years. And it just, it's a little bit harder to really kind of use that data to, to make a compelling argument for like the best players in a school's history. Next question here comes from Jeff via Gmail. Final two questions here from Jeff. Jeff says, what do you think about the chance that both Gonzaga and St. Mary's could end up as top four seeds in March? Yeah, I think it's unlikely. I think uh, both teams would have to win out with the exception of, of playing each other, of course. And even then, I'm not sure. St. Mary's has been continually disrespected by the 
bracketologist, they have showed up as a six seed, seven seed most often. I think a lot of people were waiting to see how they would do against Gonzaga. The fact that they beat Gonzaga might push them back up into that 5-4 conversation, which is where they deserve to be. Gonzaga is probably going to drop down to being more in that four seed conversation right now. But both these teams might have to be perfect and have things change around them, whether that's teams that are in front of them dropping out, whether that's not anybody really kind of moving up. It's going to be tough. Do I think these two teams are both top 16 teams in the country? Eh, debatable. I think Gonzaga's right around that, quite honestly. I think that by the time you're listening to this, the AP poll is going to come out. I think Gonzaga is going to be 17, 18. That's kind of my guess. So right outside of that kind of top four conversation, St. Mary should hopefully be up, move up, continue to move up, maybe be 14, 15, something like that uh, for, for their sake. I, I know a lot of Gonzaga fans don't want them to be that high, but they, they, they probably deserve it. Um, I think it's going to be close. I, if I was a betting man, I would not bet on both these teams being top four seeds. I think that is a, a fairly unlikely but plausible scenario. Final question of the show here from Jeff. He says, on the women's side, Portland plays at Gonzaga on Saturday with both teams tied for first at 12-1. and one. What does Gonzaga need to do to beat Portland on Saturday and give themselves a chance to bring the WCC title back to Spokane? Well, they need to win. <laughs> the biggest thing they need to do to win uh, against the uh, Portland team is not turn the ball over. They turned the ball over 18 times the last time these two teams met. Now, Portland turned the ball over 23 times, so it was just a turnover fest, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But for the Zags, uh, not turning the ball over 18 times, giving Portland and their two really, really good scores, uh, opportunities to get buckets, just really kind of killed them, I think. They didn't have both trunk twins, so being healthy, Always going to help in that one. Eliza Hollingsworth really struggled in that contest. She only had two points uh, on the night in that one. Vani Ejim, only 10 points. She only played 15 minutes because of foul trouble. I think that's a huge part of it, too. If Vani Ejim can avoid foul trouble, can put up 15, 18, 20 points like she normally does, uh, I think that helps a lot if both Trung Twins play. I think that helps you a little bit as well. Uh, certainly, Brenna Maxwell was awesome last time these two teams played. 20 points on six of seven shooting from three because she's just the greatest three-point shooter in like college basketball right now, at least on the women's side, I mean, arguably on both sides, she's been absolutely fantastic this season. So I think shooting it well, health from the Trung Twins and a lack of foul trouble from Vani Ejim is probably enough for them to pull out a victory here. But this is a really good Portland squad and it's going to be tough for them to, uh, it's going to be tough for them to win. But I think that they're more than capable of doing it. And I think if they do that, uh, maybe it doesn't secure entirely, but it makes it much more likely that they're going to come home with another WCC championship trophy. All right, that is going to do it for me today. I want to thank all of you for listening. Plenty more fantastic content coming later this week. And if you haven't done so yet, check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Five days a week, national show. Myself, co-host Isaac Shade of Locked On Tar Heels. We're talking college hoops every single day. Go find us on YouTube. Go hit that big red subscribe button. It is very much appreciated. All right, once again, thank you all for listening. And go Zags.